This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. Hey, everyone, and thank you for tuning back into another episode. I'm very honored and privileged to bring back our first repeat guest. And it's none other than Mike Bowman. He was on episode number one of the show, our most popular episode that got the most downloads. And I think people were really inspired at where he was at at his age. And you might want to hold on to your seat because you you just may fall out of your chair knowing how much he has done and accomplished since then. I think you're going to be just in awe. But also... We talk about how you can replicate that, and we talk a lot about mindset and how he found these deals, how he grew so fast, and so our hope is to inspire you into action and the same results. So before we get into the actual nuts and bolts of the episode, this is a portion of the show I like to call the golden nugget of the day, where I share with you one quick tidbit of knowledge that's working for my guests. And so that is, as your portfolio grows, stop being the jack of all trades. And by that, I mean, uh, most of the time, new real estate investors, they convince themselves that they're just going to manage the property themselves. And that's fine if you have the time, energy, and know-how. But as your number of rental unit grows, you will probably need to outsource this task. And that will obviously come at a cost. But Mike Bowman knew that once he got to a certain unit count, he had to outsource that task because he didn't like it or he didn't have time for it. His time was better suited out there looking for deals and making connections. And so outsourcing your property management is sometimes one of the first things that you'll do, even if you only have a small amount of units. Now, admittedly, it's not wrong to self-manage. I I self-manage and I have a, a unit count in mind where once I exceed that, I'm going to outsource property management. But until then, I like managing it. But when the headaches get too big or when uh, my time is better suited in other areas, then I will outsource that task. And so that's our gold nugget of the day. And with all that being said, I think there's nothing else to address. I'm going to welcome Mike Bowman back to the microphone. It's going to be an awesome episode. Please enjoy and stay tuned. Welcome back to the show, Michael Bowman. It's good to have you back. If you guys don't know, Mike was on episode one of the podcast, which was our most popular so far. He got to share his story on how he acquired a 32-unit apartment complex at age 23. But in this episode, I thought I'd bring him back on for an update to see where he's at and where he's going from here. So welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, guys, and thanks for having me again, Dalen. Always a pleasure. You bet. You bet. So, Mike, talk to us about you know how your portfolio has changed. If anybody's curious on how you kind of built the front end of your uh, portfolio, they can listen to episode one. But talk about how your portfolio has really changed and I would dare say exploded since we last spoke when you had that 32-unit apartment complex. Man, that's a great question and we could be here all day. So my portfolio has gone nowhere but up since we last talked. I believe on our last podcast that we did together, which was about a year ago, uh, we're close to it. We talked about how I acquired a bunch of houses, sold them as a package, built some self-storage and um, acquired a 32-unit apartment complex. Now all of that's sold and I have one big nest egg, a 119-unit apartment complex. So 
that's what my focus is right now is that 119 unit apartment complex. It's spread out over 10 buildings and they're all within a quarter mile of each other. It's just building after building after building after building. Uh, it's on two major highways here in my town, Springfield. Um, so we'll get into a little bit more how I acquired it, but that's where I'm at right now is 119 unit apartment complex, 10 buildings, all right next to each other. Great location. Uh, it was, it was a great deal. Yeah, that's amazing. And the fact that you own them, you know, outright, you and your family, I mean, that just speaks volumes to how far you've come and how you've just exploded. Let's talk about that. So obviously, we the listeners probably want to know, there's multiple parts to getting a deal and securing it. You know, you have to find the deal, you have to fund the deal, and then you have to manage the deal. So let's dive into like the first part of that, finding the deal, and then we'll just go from there. So finding the deal was honestly the hardest part. A lot of people say in real estate, you know, it's hard to get money and financing. I would I would venture to say that the hardest part is finding the deal. There are a ton of people with money. In America, in different countries, across the world, there are a ton of people with money, but the people with deals are a little more limited. So we'll backspace a little bit and like Dalen mentioned, I had a thirty two unit apartment complex. I got an offer that I couldn't refuse to sell it. So I accepted the offer. And about a month into accepting that offer, I realized I was screwed. I was making all this money on the sale of my 32-unit apartment, but there was nothing else for me to buy. I mean, literally, for six months, my full-time job was finding a replacement property so I could reinvest that 32-unit apartment complex profit. And for six months, um, it was looking like it was a no-go. I wasn't finding anything. I mean, multifamily, there was nothing available. Package of houses, nothing available. I, literally, every day I woke up and I made calls. I pounded pavement. I drove around my city trying to find a deal that I could parlay my profits into. So that was the hardest part. And Along the way, I was getting names from different investors and friends and bankers saying, hey, this guy might sell something or hey, this guy has a couple apartments he might sell or hey, this guy has a couple of commercial buildings. So along the way, my friends and my family, my acquaintances, they were all supportive. And I think it's really important to have good people around you. That makes all the difference. So one of my banker buddies has been trying to get me to do a loan with him for a long time, for years. And... I kept telling him, hey, you got to bring me a deal. You got to bring me a deal. If you bring me a good project, I'll finance it with you. So this banker, a good guy, good friend, he's one of the ones who gave me a list of a few names along the way of potential sellers. I tracked down every single person that he gave me on that list like I did with every other name, every other list that my friends and family were giving me. And it took a few months to follow up, but I finally was able to make contact with one of the people on my banker's list. And that's how I was introduced to the seller of the 119-unit apartment complexes. So it was very, very hard. It took six months total. I mean, I was losing sleep because I didn't want to pay taxes. Because like when you flip an apartment building like I was doing with my 32-unit, um, there's going to be a ton of taxes unless you can do what's called the 1031 tax exchange and move the money immediately into another asset. So I was losing sleep. It was a stressful situation, but luckily I had good people, good family and friends around me that were helping me out. And through all my follow-up, 
I was able to connect with the seller of the 119 units. That is so cool. So, I mean, a lot of people, I think, talk about rubbing shoulders with agents and brokers, but you decided to take a little bit of a different approach, put all your feelers out there, but you also found this deal through your banker, which I think is really unique. You don't hear about that a lot. And you also expressed urgency. You know, you had this urgency if you had to find this replacement property. And so you just took action every day. And I think that's what a lot of people can take away from this. And Practically speaking, I mean, it's harder to find an apartment building for sale than it is a single family home just because there are fewer of them. And I think that the sellers are more sophisticated, definitely, if they're investors. So then, so you've now found the deal now. And then did you fund the entire purchase of that property with the profit and proceeds of your 32 unit sale? Is that how you funded the deal? Yeah. So of course, to buy 119 apartment units... You're going to need to get a loan for it, unless you're like Warren Buffett or something like that. But for me, I definitely got a loan for it, and I put a down payment. And to answer your question, I was able to fund the entire down payment out of the sale of my 32 unit besides $84,000. So the difference between all of my profits on the 32 unit sale and and getting into the 119 unit, the difference that I had to bring to closing was $84,000. So I think that was great because I essentially went from a 32-unit apartment to 119 units for $84,000, which is just, it's freaking insane. And I know Dalen and I have talked about this off of the air in the past, but I was able to get into my 32-unit apartment with no money down because I was able to use other bank finance money for the down payment. Maybe that's something we'll get into a little bit later, maybe another day, but I was able to get into my 32 unit for no money down, and then I was able to trade up from the 32 to the 119 unit for 84000 So basically, if you look back on the last three years of my wife and I's real estate investing, we got into 119 units and it only cost us $84,000. Yeah, that's just bananas. And like, I can't even express how cool that is on the show. I mean, I wish we had video for this because I'm just like, my jaw is just on the floor. Because when you think about the power of real estate, you don't think about this. I mean, going from literally nothing to a 32 and then 119 with just 84,000 out of pocket. And that just speaks to finding the right deals, creating that instant equity. Explain how you created instant equity and in that property because you found it obviously below market value and then talk about like how you could have immediately resold that 119 units or part of that for like a multi-million dollar profit so the best way to raise equity when you have any investment property that has rental income is to raise the rents so luckily these 119 units that that i recently purchased um, the rents are all low. I mean, it, it depend on what market you're listening from. And it's, it's hard to imagine that rents are going for $320 a month at an apartment facility. And I'll tell you, I could show you my rent roll. I have people renting from me that are paying $320 a month for a, a two-bedroom apartment. I mean, that's just freaking insane. They need to be, you know, $750, $800, or, you know, whatever it is, depending on the updates of that unit. But my best equity gain is off of raising the rents or not not even raising them per se but just bringing them up to the market standard that's the best way you can raise equity in a property is make sure the rents are on point because sometimes landlords or previous sellers will just let people stay there for years 
and won't raise the rents. Uh, and, and that's a different play too. But keeping your rents on point is the best way to raise equity in the property. And luckily, I factored all of my numbers and my purchase price off of the current low rents. So every time I raise a rent or every time my property manager does, it's gravy. It's money that I didn't count on because I already underwrote the deal on the lower rents and it still made sense at the lower rents. Yeah. Raising rents, I mean, obviously I've heard is huge in multifamily as well as rehabbing the property, you know, paying the outside, uh, improving some units is just monumental to getting your appraised value up because as we know in multifamily, the value of the property is determined on the net operating income. And so talk about also how that made you more attractive to the bank and potential buyers. Cause I know you wanted to partition some of those units and sell them off to pay off the, the loan there. That's true. So, uh, and I guess this is another way to build equity in a property is you got to buy it right. So luckily I bought it right. It was a fair deal. The seller was happy. I was happy. The seller bought it 30 years ago. So the seller made a good profit, but just circling back a little bit to the last question, it'll tie into this next one is, um, buying it right is the best way to create equity because you make your money when you buy. So I bought it low and the bank immediately did an appraisal on the property while we were under contract in the process of closing. And the appraisal came in 12% higher than our contract price, which almost never happens. I've never seen it happen this big. So most of the time an appraiser will see what the purchase price is, maybe round up a couple thousand bucks and then just appraise it. So it's hard to get a true value on a purchase appraisal, but the appraisal on these apartments came in 12% higher. So that alone straight out the gate, plus my wife and I put 25% down payment instead of the, the 20, usual 20%. So but all, between all that, us putting a bigger down payment, the appraisal coming in extra high, I mean, all made it look very, very attractive to the bank. They They rolled out the red carpet, we got the best interest rate, fixed it for a long time, and you know, we're at good cash flow position. And I guess that also reminds me that it we essentially, Brittany and I could have got into this apartment complex for no money down if we wouldn't have put the 25% down payment. So reason why Brittany and I put the 25% down payment was to get a little bit lower interest rate and keep as much equity in the property as possible. That being said, if we wouldn't have done 25% down payment, we wouldn't have had to come out of pocket the 84000 So essentially, could have got into this 119 unit for zero money down after three years of work instead of 84000 But we decided to put down as much as we could to keep the payment lower. But to circle back and answer your question, Dalen, we looked attractive to the banks because we did a good down payment and then also the appraisal came in good. Yeah. And as a, from a banker perspective, I mean, why would you not want to fund that deal? You're going to have a multi-million dollar loan on your books, which a loan to the bank is actually an asset. So they're getting a significant interest payment. You have a property that right out of the gate appraises for 12% more than it, uh, the contract price. And then you have you know an investor like Mike, who's willing to go in there and put in the entrepreneurial credit, the sweat equity to get those rents up. So from a banking perspective, yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't ever fund something like this. And that's how you want to look to a bank, whether you're just purchasing a home or a duplex or a 10 unit, um, you want to make yourself look as good as you can to the bank. So now that you've got that uh, project you know, under contract, bought 
and funded, Mike. How do you manage the deal from there? Because I imagine you're not going to all these different doors and collecting rent monthly in cash, right? So how are you managing that month to month? And that's honestly the probably the second hardest thing in real estate in, in these big commercial deals that we're doing. The, the first, like we talked about, the hardest is to find the deal. The second, believe it or not, is to manage the deal after you own it. So I'm not a good property manager. I get pissed off. I get emotionally involved. I am probably not the nicest guy when we get into a, a little disagreement. So for me, it's hard to manage properties. That's why I hired a full-time property manager to take care of all of these units. So I don't collect any rents. I don't replace any dishwashers. I don't paint anything. I don't do any of the books. I solely, I just take care of the income and expenses, keeping my property manager in check and obviously paying a few bills here and there. So my day-to-day on the apartments is not that much. It does not consume that much of my time just because I'm paying somebody else to do it. My time is best used finding more deals and looking forward and and flipping and acquiring. And so I'm a salesman. I buy and sell and I love it. I'm not a rental property manager. So that's why I've gotten really big into uh, recently that let people do what they're good at. You take your car to a tire shop, let those guys put on the tire. You go out to eat, you let somebody cook your food. You let a property manager take care of your property. I do what I'm good at. I let other people do what they're good at. Yeah, that's a really good key concept um, because I think it's possible that early on in one's career, you know, we're doing everything ourselves, we're wearing every hat, and that's fine for a season. But you learned pretty quickly that once you had some more profits rolling in, you're now focused on divesting your time where it's most suited, where you can have the greatest impact, like finding this massive deal. I mean, it wouldn't make sense. If you've built up the skill of finding a deal like this, why would you then go and take on property management duties? Like those are two completely different skills. And you know, you only have a certain amount of time in a day to allocate towards real estate. So why, why do that? That's a good point for sure. So Explain what you're doing in the day-to-day now that you're not really needing to have to upkeep on this property so much. Or You said you're a salesman at heart, but are you still like buying, selling, flipping with those you know smaller units? Yeah, I am. I joke with my wife that Brittany, and she's great. Honestly, I couldn't have done any of this without Brittany. Anything business-related since the start. My wife recently went out of town uh, for a friend's wedding. So she was gone for a few days and I obviously stayed home and took care of our two-year-old baby daughter. And it was a little bit of a reality check to me. Like, obviously, it wasn't the hardest thing in the world. It wasn't the worst thing in the world to take care of my baby for, you know, a few days because I love her, obviously, and it's so fun playing and driving around. But I did realize that I could have not scaled. I could have not put this much time into work. I could have not packaged up my houses, bought a 32 unit, spent the six months finding a 119 unit. None of it would have been possible if I didn't have my wife because she was taking care of all the house stuff and all the baby stuff and everything else on the back end so I could work. So not every relationship is like that and different relationships have different roles and stuff like that. For my relationship with my wife, it's worked out perfectly. She does what she's good at. I do what I'm good at. And But anyways, couldn't have done it without Brittany. And nowadays, I buy and sell uh, mostly houses. I buy commercial real estate. I buy houses. I buy packages. I buy land. 
So I'm a salesman at heart and I'm still buying and selling. My main goal right now is to get those 119 apartment units paid off. Uh, so you'll know that on commercial loans, you usually your interest rate is not fixed for the full term, whether you have it on a 25-year payout or a 20-year payout. Um, most of the commercial loans do not fix the interest rate for that long. My interest rate is fixed for 10 years. So um, I have my, my property, you know, will pay off in 25 years, but every 10 years it renews interest rate. So my goal is to have those 119 units paid off before that 10-year mark. That way, when interest rates go up like they inevitably will, I'm not going to be renewing at a higher interest rate. I'll just have a paid off property. So so lot long answer, um, a lot of credit to my wife, but to get back to the root answer, um, I'm still buying and selling houses, commercial um, land, lots, anything I can get my hands on so I can get those 119 units paid down. Awesome. Yeah. You know, as a married man myself, it definitely helps when you have a spouse who's on board and understands your desire and your ambitions. And then that also needs to be reciprocated. I mean, you need to uh, understand their ambitions and their desires and what they need. And so it's a mutual relationship definitely helps when you're on the same page there. So can you give some practical advice for maybe someone out there who has several deals under their belt? Because this is kind of an advanced episode. If you're looking for a more introductory episode, check out number one episode, the interview with Mike Bowman. But for somebody who has several deals under their belt, but wants to scale up and do bigger deals, do you have some tangible advice for somebody going to like, say, houses to larger buildings? So tangible advice uh, for scaling up and getting bigger and doing bigger things is it could be summed up in just a few words. The first word is networking. I mean, networking, networking, networking with everybody around you, real estate investors, bankers. That's how I was able to scale up from a, a 32 unit apartment to 119 was networking friends and family, co-workers. And maybe you're thinking you have a couple, you have maybe two, three, four houses, or maybe more. And you want to get into maybe a package of houses or maybe a, a small commercial building or a small apartment or a, a fiveplex. You know, whatever your deal is, whatever you want to scale and get bigger, networking is, is going to be the most beneficial to you. And second, it brings us back to the entrepreneurial mindset. So just envisioning what you want and going for it. And I know it's kind of cliche because everybody always says, you know, the mindset, money mindset, entrepreneur mindset. It's a little cliche saying that, but really the way you get in the zone every day, it, it makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing, and, and it wasn't even that long ago, Dalen and I at this point in time have barely known each other more than a year. When we got together and we were friends a, a little over a year ago, I was still doing a couple houses here and there. I didn't have any apartments, didn't have any commercial buildings. I was definitely very starting out. And to go from that to this is it was the mindset got bigger and the networking got bigger. So those are the two biggest things, the mindset and the networking both got bigger for me. And that's how it, I've been able to go and get bigger and bigger and bigger. For example, actually... Um, Maybe Dalen could put a link in this podcast. I'm about to release a book and Dalen's featured in it. He wrote a portion in there. Uh, it's called The Five F's of Life. The Five F's of Life are faith, family, fun, fitness, and finance. So they're five F's 
five principles that if you focus on them and you get them into your mindset, you will be more successful. Guaranteed. And this new book is coming out. It's actually more of a pamphlet. It'll be an easy read, a lot of pictures. There'll be a picture of Dalen in there too. But in that five F's of life, I talk a little bit about getting into the zone, getting into that financial mindset where you're going to do bigger and be bigger and better. The way I get into the mindset every morning is I wake up at 5.30 every morning, and this is different for everyone. I'm not saying, you know, do this because for some people it may not work. But for me, I wake up early, I, I exercise, I read scriptures or, you know, things that I hold dear to me, I meditate for a few minutes, I play with my daughter, I, I eat a healthy breakfast or a smoothie. So for me, I have almost, you could say, a ritual or a routine, something that I do every morning that gets me into that mindset. And I've jogged six, sometimes seven miles every morning for the last two years. And I take a break on Sunday because everybody needs some rest. But I do this hard workout every day. I'm dripping in sweat. And at the end of the workouts, I tell myself, if I can do this hard of a thing this early in the morning and it's only 6.30 a.m., you know, what else can I do today? So that's just a, a little example and that's my way to do it. You may have a different way to do it. it. It doesn't have to be a specific way. It's just all about getting into that mindset and getting into that that mindset where I can do bigger, be better, uh, be bigger. That's really probably the best advice I could give coupled with networking. No, that that's fantastic advice because you have to think bigger to achieve bigger things. I mean, you can't keep thinking small to get where you're at. And not everyone's goal is to be as big as possible. Maybe you just want to get enough units to retire and that's good enough for you. But the bottom line is you have to get in that zone like Mike was saying. And I mean, the way I do it is pretty similar. Like I get up not that early, <laughs> but I I do get up um, to have the same routine, brush my teeth, you know, eat eat a good breakfast, take a shower. And then that over time, it just builds up. And then you say, oh, I want to experiment with this habit or this habit. And then it just builds on top of each other. And soon before you know it, you're not even the same person you were before. So that's awesome. Have you experienced a change in identity or maybe life meaning now that you don't need to work for money anymore? I mean, theoretically, you could just go vacation full time now, but you, you have a different approach. And so have you experienced a change in identity? Because it's probably easy to let all this success get to your head. Has, has your identity or life meaning changed in the last six months to a year? Yeah, it definitely has. To, to answer that shortly, yes. To get a little more in depth, you ask my wife or, or my friends and family, I am probably not the most humble dude and it's, it's hard. It's something I'm working on. Uh, but especially putting these big deals together and doing big things and, and becoming better. Uh, it's, it's been an opportunity for me to try and not get cocky or arrogant. You see some people, whether it's movie stars or, or whoever, uh, that just, they, they acquire something that they didn't have before and it changes them. And, um, I don't want to be that way. I actually, and I, I try really hard to just be a good guy. And if you could see Dalen and I talking right now in person, you know, I've got some old basketball shorts that have some paint on them. I've got some Nikes. They're actually fake Nikes because they were cheaper and they're five years old and I'm wearing a hoodie with, and I have a man bun. So, I mean, you look at me, you would think, 
who is that guy? He's just a normal guy. And, and I am a normal guy. But I feel like it, it has been a little harder, um, you know, putting these bigger deals together, keep it in my head. And Brittany has been amazing for that. My wife, she, I mean, we go out and close uh, millions of dollars in deals and, and, you know, make this much and do that much. And still at the end of the day, she's like, that was decent or hey, good job. And that's all. That's it. She's, she's not saying, oh, you're the best ever. No, she just, she keeps me in my place. And I feel like we have a perfect balance because, you know, as much as we do, she's definitely like, yeah, that's good. You know, or yeah, you're okay. So, so it, it definitely helps being around somebody, being married to somebody who kind of keeps me in check, doesn't let it go to my head. I think that this has been an opportunity for me to help other people and grow. I was actually listening to a sermon the other day, a church sermon, and one of the things I took away from it was never put aside a generous thought or always act on a generous thought. So I feel like as Brittany and I have been able to do bigger and better deals, you know, I've been able to serve a little bigger and better, you know. So if we're out with friends, you know, maybe I maybe I pick up the tab, you know, at the end of the meal. Or I, I know somebody needs some help, then, you know, I give them some help, whether it's, you know, financial or, or whatever, or just going over and helping out, bringing them dinner. So I feel like it's a good opportunity to grow uh, when you get bigger and better and to help others when you get bigger and better. Because ultimately, that is where most people get their fulfillment from is is from relationships from service. And you'll actually read about this in the five F's of life. I, I just got done uh, with the rough draft yesterday of this new book. But uh, a lot of what I talk about in there, a lot of what you'll read is is about fulfillment and service. Because at the end of the day, you money can buy you a lot of things. Um, it can buy you good food. It can buy you good houses. It can buy you travel. It can make your life easier. I definitely think making money is a good thing to do. I think it's something everybody should do. Um, it, it'll help you have a better life, but doing that service and fulfillment and quality time with family uh, is is what really is going to bring you that long-lasting joy and happiness. And I would venture to say that, I mean, a, much of my happiness, more more happiness comes from my family and quality time with friends and loved ones than anything else. So I love doing deals. I get very, very excited when I do deals, when I make money. It's it's almost like you know, I'm addicted to it. You know, It makes my endorphins go getting a good deal. Um, but ultimately what brings me joy and what I try to focus on now is service, fulfillment, and friends and family. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And I will say you didn't have to mention the man bun. Nobody could have known known about that. Uh, you didn't have to embarrass yourself on air. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> so Mike, like where where are you going from here? Because you, you kind of touched on it. You're still doing deals. But I mean, do you want to do bigger deals? Or is this kind of the end of the road for acquiring units? I mean, of course, we don't have a crystal ball. But where do you want to be in 5, 10, 15 years from now? Honestly, my goal is to be a stay-at-home dad by the time I'm 30. And I'm 23 now, so that gives me seven years. So I hope to, in seven years, have my you know apartments paid off, these 119 units. And that way, we, we've, me and my wife have the income, my family and I have the income, and we're not stressed about money. So I can be with my family, enjoying quality time. And my wife right now is a stay-at-home mom, so she's with our baby. And she'll probably still be stay-at-home for 
the, the foreseeable future until we can get enough passive income where we can completely, you know, take the reins off of business. And at that point, she wants to go back to work and do something that she loves. She loves clothes and, you know, resale shops, maybe a boutique. So I think the, you know, five, 10 years down the road, I see, you know, me being a stay-at-home dad, my wife having, you know, some business that she's running so she can feel fulfilled. And um, also we love to to serve and some people go to church, some people don't. Um, but I want to have the opportunity to serve and help and edify others, whether that's in church stuff or whether that's in society stuff or whether that's even in my own family with my own kids or with my friends and family. So, so in five or 10 years, um, I plan to have my apartments paid off and, you know, be, be enjoying life, feeling fulfilled, allowing my wife to feel fulfilled and, and helping others. Um, that being said, I'm not originating any new loans right now. So I've got millions of dollars of loans right now, uh, just off of that one apartment facility. So I'm not originating any, I'm not originating any new loans and I probably won't until I get that apartment paid off, uh, within the next seven to 10 years. Um, it's kind of, it, it's the nest egg. It's, it's got everything that we need. It's got the, the income that my wife and I'll need. So we're just focusing on paying that one off. I do love, uh, buying and selling though. So I don't think that'll ever stop. I don't think it'll ever stop. Um, like Dalen said, my wife and I, we could probably just start vacationing and, and hanging out just off of the passive income on the 119 units. But I love to buy and sell and we have a goal to work towards, you know, paying off the apartments. So, so I'm going to keep buying and selling until the day I die. Uh, what I end up buying and selling between now and the day I die, who knows? But right now it's real estate because that's the best thing going that I can see. Yeah, that's awesome that you're thinking about that. And it really allows you to be creative when you have this income coming in. You can think, oh, you know, go back to school for this or start up this new venture. And a lot of people don't get that opportunity. So I think you're very blessed to have that. So, Mike, do you have any kind of parting remarks? I know you prepared a few remarks on your phone um, to go over. But I wanted to give you a chance to make any of those remarks before we kind of wrap it up here. Yeah, then the biggest thing that I want to mention, um, if you could only remember one thing from this, uh, this whole podcast that Dalen and I are doing that you're listening to is to be honest. So be honest and be straight up. So if you've read uh, my Hustle Then Repeat, the very first book that I authored uh, a few years ago, I I talked about back uh, selling cars in high school, and I I wasn't really the most honest guy. I mean, I was doing whatever it took to get the car sold, and I think about that time, and that's not the way that I want to you know continue going. And so I've been for the last few years, and and for actually longer than that, even just trying to be an honest dude, a straight up dude. Um, so I'll tell you a little story. Uh, to wrap it up, it's about that 32-unit apartment complex that I recently sold to purchase the 119-unit. Uh, when I was under contract, after I had already, you know, on paper signed and agreed to sell the 32-unit apartment, I was getting cold feet. Like like most people would get cold feet. I was trying for months and months trying to find a replacement property for this 32-unit apartment sale, um, and I didn't have anything. Like we talked about a few minutes ago, I didn't have anything. This is before I was introduced to the seller of the 119-unit apartments. And I was really, really getting cold feet to sell this 32-unit apartment. And 
I tried everything I could to back out of the 32-unit apartment sale because I was like, oh, I've got a good asset and I can't find anything to replace it. This is dumb. I'm, I'm going to have to pay taxes on the money and there's nothing else to reinvest. And you know, with inflation going up, who knows how much the dollar is going to be worth, blah, blah, all those thoughts run through your head. So I had all these thoughts going through my head saying back out, back out, back out of the 32-unit sale. Contractually, though, I couldn't. I signed a contract. I was bound. The buyer was bound. We had to sell it. I mean, it was on paper and uh, everything like that. So I tried for about a month to get out of the contract with this buyer. I, I just was trying to find any in and out, anything that I could use, any contingency that I could use to back out of the apartment sale. And I was I was scared. I was scared that I was selling the farm and that I was making a bad business decision. And at the end of that month of going back and forth with the buyer, the buyer threatened to sue me and blah, blah, blah. So there's a bunch of drama back and forth. And you know, the buyer was actually a pretty straight up dude. He's a good guy and we're friends now. But And we've done more deals since that 32-unit apartment, actually. He bought uh, two apartment buildings that I sold him yesterday. Um, but anyways, b- beside the point, me and the buyer were, were going back and forth. And I was being kind of a knothead, you know. I was being a little sneaky. And... Um, after going back and forth for that amount of time, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to stick to my word. I signed a contract. I'm going to sell it. That's that. If I have to pay taxes on the money, you know, what's the worst thing in the world that, oh, I had to pay taxes on, on, on a profit. That's a good problem to have. So, so anyways, uh, I decided to stay in the deal in the 32 unit sale and within weeks, I was able to connect with the seller of the 119-unit apartment complex within weeks. And I was able to work it out with the seller of the 119-unit apartment complexes. And now I look back and selling that 32-unit was the biggest blessing ever when it comes to business. And finding that 119-unit apartment was the second biggest blessing ever. So... I look back and if I would have been a sketchy dude, if I would have went to war, if I would have gotten an attorney or a lawyer and gone back and forth on on that 32 unit sale that I was trying to back out of, it it would not have led me to probably the biggest and best deal that I'll ever do, the 119 unit apartment. So if I could leave one thing uh, above all else is be honest, be straight up. Um, A lot of the people you do business with, you will continue to do business with in the future. it, and depending on what town you're in, some towns are bigger than others. But if you screw people over or if you're kind of a shysty guy, then word gets out. I mean, word gets out. There are there are people that, that I know in this town and that Dalen know that, you know, you you get a contract from them or you get a deal from them and you wonder, is this going to happen or not? You know, because you've heard bad things about them. So I think that protecting that relationship that you have with your market is key and being honest is is a good way to do that. It's probably one of the better ways to do that. And obviously, you, you want to be honest in all your things, whether it's business or not, with family and relationships. You want to be honest and straight up. So that's my one word of advice is to be honest and be straight up because uh, it, it will lead to the biggest and best things you've ever had. And if you aren't honest and straight up, it'll come back to bite you in the butt somehow. Yeah, I mean, honesty really is the best policy as they teach you in school. And so I bet you kind of wonder what would have happened had you 
been dishonest and then not gotten the, the 119 units, that would just keep me up at night for like the rest of my life. <laughs> if I knew that not only did I, you know, betray my own ethics, my own character, but then I lost out on something that bigger. So definitely stay honest in all your dealings. And definitely, I mean, our town isn't like super huge. Um, it's got about 200,000 in it, but you know, even, even with that, that size, people know who you are, how you do business, whether or not you close and carry through on your deals. I mean, in wholesaling, especially it's a stigma that wholesalers regularly back out of contracts, you know, overestimate, underestimate repairs, overestimate ARV. And so we just want to always be on the up and up in everything we do for sure. That would be, that's a great piece of advice, Mike. Um, anything else you got for us before we kind of shut things down here that you want to leave the listeners with? We're not going to do our typical final three questions because um, we did that in the first episode. But anything else you have for us that's just on your mind? I think you're in the right place. Um, listening to this podcast, doing what you need to do, whether you're just starting out or whether you're in the thick of it or whether you've been doing it for a long time, I think you're in the right place. Truly, like the podcast name reads, you know, real estate helps you invest in your freedom. So if you want to be free, if you want to do the things you want to do, if you want to spend time with the people you want to spend time when you want to, um, real estate and investing in general is the place to be. And it sounds like you're well on your way listening to this podcast, you know, being here with us today. And I applaud you for that. Um, good job. Feel free to find me. You can message me or buy one of my books. I'm sure Dalen will have uh, the links in the podcast or, or somewhere around there. But I think you're in the right place. And I, I wish the best to you in business and in everything else. Yeah. Do you want to mention, again, your social handles or however you prefer to be reached out at, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, or email? Yeah, I think the the best way is, and believe it or not, uh, is just text me. I get so many uh, contacts every day, you know, whether it's email or voicemail or calls. Uh, but if you could either just email me or shoot me a text, then that is the best way to reach me because then I can, you know, get to it as soon as I can and I don't forget it. When I see the notification, I can say, okay, I'm going to get to that in just a second. When it's a call, they just, they stack up. So, so probably email or a text, but also through through Amazon um, and, and getting my books and stuff like that. I've got Instagram as well where you could message me. And uh, it's at uh, Realtor Bowman is my Instagram. Um, and I'm sure there will be a link on there too. But yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me is it's just a message where I can get back to it and have a notification. Yeah, certainly. We'll have all those um, points of contact in the description of the show. But Thanks again, Mike. Uh, you really humbled us here and you uh, definitely are on the right path and you're you're only going up for here. So thank you for showing how people can just be honest in all their dealings and just set themselves up for life with real estate investing. Thank you. Thanks, Daylin, and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. And tune in next week for the next episode.